a young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and welcome to this episode of The Hub on CGTN. I'm Wang Guan reporting from Beijing Capital International Airport. Now, there have been mixed reactions to China's lifting of its quarantine and travel restrictions. Apparently, some countries welcomed Chinese travelers with open arms. Thailand even sent one of its um, deputy prime ministers to Bangkok's main international airport to welcome the first group of Chinese travelers. Thank you, Thailand. On the other hand, some countries put on some very stringent requirements, asking uh, Chinese arrivals, uh, China-originated travelers, to put on a band showing that they are coming from China. Uh, apparently, those who are not the friend list of policies. But regardless, regardless, there have been an increase, a surge of Chinese travelers going overseas. And for those who have arrived in China, they're breathing a huge sigh of relief now that they don't have to go through quarantine. I came back to Beijing from Boston via Tokyo and Hong Kong. The journey took me two days. I went to the UK for Christmas and then come back to Beijing through Hong Kong. And we are living now since one and a half year in Beijing. And we were in Germany just for Christmas holiday. And now we are coming back again. I came back to Beijing from Melbourne via Hong Kong. We thought there would be a quarantine and we consider it in our travel plan. But China lifted quarantine by January 8. We finish all entering procedures in just a couple of minutes. I'm looking forward to just going out in the city without quarantine. <laughs> it's much more convenient now, so uh, yeah, we're really happy now that we do not have these restrictions anymore. I really support this decision. Our lives have been quite affected in the last three years. I think China really cares about its people to make such a decision now. Yeah, I think China will play absolutely a critical role, you know, the second biggest economy in the world. So I hope through 23, China's role the right place in the world as the second biggest economy and play that big role to bring the whole world back will be very welcome for us as a family um, and also I think for many people in China and the rest of the world. So. Oh, it will affect me a lot because I work in tourism industry so these three years were really hard for us, you know. Um, so now it will be much easier to organize uh, conferences, the things we do. And yeah, I'm looking forward to that, you know. Let's not forget, in the past three years, it was tough times for the executors of China's quarantine requirements. For example, China's immigration officers at major ports of entry. They have to endure high risk of infection, long working hours, and separation with their kids and loved ones. Meet Tang Hao. He's an immigration inspection officer at Beijing Capital International Airport. In the past three years, he has provided assistance to international travelers and help facilitate their immigration procedures. He's also a father of two. Working long hours in a potentially dangerous environment has been a routine for the past three years. So Officer Tan, it's great to have you with us. Uh, first of all, can you tell us a bit about your work? Uh, of course, you're affiliated with uh, the National Immigration Inspection Administration, Beijing Bureau. In the past three years, all inbound travelers had to be checked at Beijing Capital International Airport's T3D. So, as officers at Beijing General Station of Immigration Inspection, we were responsible for the inspection of all inbound travelers in Beijing to China. So, Officer Tang, when you talk about China's immigration policies, a lot of people associate that with uh, very strict uh, quarantine measures. 
uh, what kind of challenges does it add to your work? Uh, we were doing more than inbound checks in the past three years. Preventing COVID from entering China became our new priority. Immigration inspection officers like us had to wear PPEs for inbound inspections such as gloves, goggles, and other equipment just like all medical workers did. We were providing the highest level of protection to our officers. It was equipped with the best protective gear that all officers could inspect all inbound travelers. But you will have to abide by China's quarantine measures as well, right? If you um, meet with people coming from what was used to be high-risk areas, you have to go through quarantine for up to two weeks. And during that time, you will not be able to meet your kids and family. At the very beginning, there was a lot of pressure. First, we didn't have enough information about COVID. Second, we are not medical professionals. We had a lot to learn. That's why it was so stressful. And also, as immigration inspection officers, we had close contact with inbound travelers who were potentially infected. So, we were facing higher risks during the pandemic. In order to remain operational, we had to work for a certain period of time and then stay in quarantine before going back to work. We were not able to meet our family and anyone outside during closed-loop management. We couldn't even meet our colleagues when staying in quarantine. And we have many young officers who may have little kids and old people to look after. For those couples, both working in our system. When one was quarantined at home, he or she couldn't see their family, even at home. Especially during the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics, there was a lot more pressure on border entry. We needed more staff on duty. For most of us at that time, it was like continuous duty and subsequent quarantine. So we would spend at least one-third of the time in isolation every year during which we couldn't see our family. It was very tough three years. What kept you going? As an immigration inspection officer, professionalism has been supporting us all along. We need to nurture a spirit of devotion. In the face of difficulties, everyone has been striving forward despite all the hardships. At the very beginning, when the special zone was established, we did not know about the disease, and we had to wear PPEs for seven or even eight hours. The pressure due to inbound travelers was massive back then, because the flights had not been reduced, and we had full flights heading back. Our border entries were under great pressure, and during Beijing Winter Olympics, we needed more officers than ever. When there are COVID-positive people entering, we needed to move them to another place, which would for sure cause direct exposure and contact. So it all depended on everyone in our team to face the difficulties and strive forward. Of course, with China optimizing its quarantine and travel requirements since January the 8th, 2023, what changes does that bring to your line of work? I think things changed in two different ways. On the one hand, there are more flights and more passengers coming in. 
So the expression on their faces has changed. Before, we were wearing protective suits to carry out inspections. The way they looked at us and the attitude were generally cautious. The fact that we were wearing PPEs created distance, but people's fear of being infected also increased the distance. Now we can see overseas Chinese who have not returned home for three years. They cry with joy when meeting with their families. We also see business people who often travel. They do not need to stay in quarantine anymore. It's convenient to do business now and they give us the thumbs up. On the other hand, life has also changed. Although the virus is still there, we now have a better understanding of it, and the change of our policy has brought us closer to each other emotionally. I feel really happy about it. So having been an immigration officer for, what, 15 years now, uh, can you perhaps share with us some of the more memorable stories of yours? There are actually too many things that left an impression on me. Now, as I recall, the first thing is when I started this job in 2008, and that was during Beijing Olympics. For me, I had just joined the force at that time. It was quite mind-blowing to see athletes and tourists all over the world come into China. The 2008 Olympic Games had won applaud and recognition of the whole world. And it was a great opportunity for people all over the world to know about us and China. I could actually feel both outbound and inbound passengers praising China at that time. I was so proud of it and proud of my country. And the second thing I want to share is the evacuation of overseas Chinese from Libya in 2011. My colleagues were on a chartered plane to Libya to pick up overseas Chinese. Back then, we were responsible for entry procedures for the charter plane in Beijing. The most impressive moments for me are when we went through the formalities for these overseas Chinese. We welcomed each and every one of them, saying, Welcome home. Many of them were Chinese employees stationed overseas. And some were Chinese workers who were really tough, working abroad for years. When we told them that our country would take them home, we saw tears of gratitude in their eyes. That was really impressive. I almost cried at that time, and I learned that our country will always get our back. The third story is about our work during the pandemic. In the past three years, I was so impressed by our team spirit because every one of us was so dedicated to their work. No one flinched at the most difficult time. And these are the three stories that I want to share. Now for some international response to China's new travel policies, let's talk to a panel of experts. Now for more discussions, I'm joined today in College Park, Maryland, the United States, by Martin Dresner, Professor and Chair of the Logistics, Business and Public Policy Department of the R.H. Smith School of Business at the University of Maryland. Both in Hong Kong SAR, we have Fu Xiaowen, Vice President at the Air Transport Research Society. And we also have in Hong Kong, China, Akim Cherney, Associate Professor of the Department of Logistics and Maritime Studies 
at Hong Kong Polytechnic University. Welcome to the Hub on CGT and gentlemen. Um, Akim, why don't I start with you? You're an aviation expert. Uh, let me ask you this. How soon do you expect air travel both to China and from China to the outside world to return to normal? Because there are so many forces at play. There's a lagging effect, but also there's pent up demand for Chinese to go outside and vice versa. So what we see worldwide, actually, globally, the scheduled airline capacity is relatively close to where we were in 2019. This is uh, uh, pre-pandemic. Some countries like China is a little bit behind uh, and some other countries are, uh, uh, are closer to where they were pre-pandemic. Uh, altogether, I feel like a lot of people, they want to travel. Uh, and as soon as they can travel, they, they do it. And uh, yeah, so this is... Uh, so I think, uh, and I, you know, there is a common wisdom, so to say, that by two, two, you know, maybe 24, even 25, uh, sort of we will be back where we were in uh, 2019. Okay, great. Um, Xiaowen, let me go to you. You live in Hong Kong, China. A lot of uh, northern bound travelers, uh, Hong Kong residents going north to the Chinese mainland. Uh, there's a quota right now in place, uh, meaning 60,000 travelers are allowed to go to the north. Uh, to the mainland China these days, but um, how do you feel about all this, these changes? And finally, we have Tongguan, right, after three long years. Yeah, we, I think it's, uh, everybody's very pleased about the, the, the move. Uh, after so long, uh, finally, we can move almost freely uh, between Hong Kong and mainland. And this is a good news to, to families and also to business. Uh, as far as I know, uh, soon after the opening, uh, many of the quota in some of the busy days has been taken. So uh, we are extremely pleased and we hope uh, it could be even more convenient in the days to come. Yeah, that's, that's the hope. Um, Dresner in the United States, how do you expect traveling to and from China to return to what it was before COVID uh, based on your own country experience? I guess it's not totally comparable, China and the United States, but what is your best guess? I checked the, uh, the numbers and our domestic employments travel in the United States is, is pretty close to almost at uh, 2019 levels. And so the recovery here in the U.S. has been uh, pretty well complete. Now, we still are uh, short on some international uh, routes, especially to China. And I know that the uh, U.S. airlines and I'm sure the Chinese airlines are very anxious to, uh, to restart a lot of those routes and to get traffic back to uh, 2019 levels very soon. So, Akim, which countries or regions do you expect to benefit more from China's move, meaning um, lifting its travel and uh, quarantine restrictions? Well, uh, what we think uh, is that those countries where the Chinese are, uh, like to go for, for leisure travel uh, will be benefiting uh, very much, like uh, Singapore, Thailand, uh, uh, and so on. But talking about Europe, uh, it's also a hot spot for, for tourists, right? If you think about Greece, Italy, uh, even Montenegro, Serbia, uh, where I went to recently. Um, but on one hand, you have the European Union uh, being very wary and cautious about unconditionally welcoming Chinese travelers. They said Chinese travelers must go through COVID testing. And, but on the other hand, the tourism industry and the aviation sectors of Europe are rubbing their hands to welcome Chinese travelers. How do you see these different dynamics playing out uh, in the weeks and months ahead? Yeah, policies can change like any any time, and hopefully uh, there will be uh, like free travel without any uh, without any testing in the future. I can say I was just uh, fl flying from Germany into Hong Kong, 
And it was like in the old days, and it was a big relief. I can say I, I really uh, uh, think this is this is important. And of course, airlines, uh, the, uh, the tourism industry, uh, businesses, uh, they're hoping for for like free traveling uh, among countries. And then how do you see the, the lift of uh, quarantine and travel restrictions impacting China-U.S. relations, which um, haven't seen nearly as much people-to-people -people exchange as they should have um, since the trade war in 2017, 2018, and then COVID? Certainly, uh, there's a lot of people who would, uh, would like uh, the uh, movement of people to go back to pre-2019 pre uh, types of, uh, of levels. Uh, you know, I, I, I work at a university. And we really missed our Chinese students. So we, we would a big uh, love to have them back. In the University of Maryland, I went there briefly for an accent reduction program uh, in 2011, I guess, 2012. Uh, beautiful campus. Yeah, we would love to have our Chinese uh, students back. We, we need them, actually. And uh, certainly uh, from an academic point of view, I can't wait to get back to um, China to visit all my friends there. Uh, what do you think the Chinese students have brought to the classrooms, at least uh, from the courses that you have taught them? They're fabulous students. We love them. They, they bring a, a level of rigor. They uh, bring a different perspective. So they mix well with our, uh, our American students and students from other uh, foreign countries. So uh, they're, uh, they're a terrific asset to uh, U.S. universities. Xiaowen, we see countries and regions uh, having very different attitudes towards Chinese travelers. Some Southeast Asian countries, such as Thailand, uh, having their um, sports minister, tourism minister, and the a deputy prime minister, I guess, so welcoming the Chinese travelers, the first bunch of them since COVID, at uh, Bangkok's International Airport, and compare that against uh, the, the restrictions placed by countries like South Korea. Uh, how do you think these uh, Southeast Asian countries, such as Thailand, are able to uh, attract more Chinese tourists? Well, I think they are doing the right job, because the, um, now, during the pandemic, many industries, especially aviation and transport, logistics, are really badly hit. And so they really need to pick up and grow, uh, taking advantage of the post-pandemic uh, season. So I think they are doing their job and they're doing the right thing. And uh, uh, this is actually, of course, because of the last three years, some of the capacity has been lost. Some of the airline have done, been downsizing. Some of the airport, their traffic volume has been down. So they need a little bit of time to get back all the capacity. But most importantly is the demand. If the demand is there, it will going to drive the recovery. So once the, we liberalize the travel and there's, there's a higher demand, that eventually going to boost up uh, everything. I think this is a good start. And then I've got to ask you this, as a Hong Kong resident, as Chinese, how do you feel when you see the images of Chinese travelers being forced to uh, wear a band saying that I'm Chinese, uh, as a yellow band, a yellow board, uh, placed right next to their chest at the customs, as if they're paraded through the customs. <laughs> These Chinese travelers stand out. Uh, how do you feel about them? Uh, this humiliation, or th is this simply quid pro quo if you think about what Beijing did to international travelers inbound? Or do you think these countries like South Korea are shooting themselves in the foot? Well, I think it's, uh, it's, it's more, instead of looking like a, a smart move, it's more like uh, something, uh, a decision made, of, made of, out of panic. 
I think the uh, people are probably are very concerned when they look at some of the numbers. They get very worried and concerned, and they do these things, uh, which may not be smart. Now, I think it's, uh, uh, the, the problem is we have gone through the pandemic for three years. We should have learned a lot. So our decisions should be based on some clear and transparent rules or guidance or some data uh, instead of a panic. And, and also at a time when we really want the tourism to recover, we really want people to travel more. Uh, this is a time to really make people more comfortable about tra traveling, make it more convenient for people to travel. We understand, well, uh, there, there may be a panic, but uh, hopefully uh, as this time goes by, people really can come back to the basics. What should be the right decision rule? What can we do to make things smoother, make people travel happier and more convenient? Yeah, what we need is facts, not fear. Martin, how do you see China's lifting of travel restrictions affecting the recovery of the global economy? Yeah, well, certainly uh, uh, this is uh, uh, an issue that we we we, we have discussed, and um, one of the problems during uh, the pandemic, when there was a lot of uh, restrictions on air travel, was that air cargo couldn't be transported very easily from one place to another on international routes, just because of the lack of uh, capacity on uh, in the bellies of uh, of aircraft. So, uh, if we get a uh, resumption of routes to uh, to the levels that we had prior to the uh, COVID pandemic, and I think that that's going to bode well for uh, for all the trade that moves quickly in in aircraft. The air freight, that uh, time sensitive type of of trade, will will go back to uh, normal levels. Akim, what do you think? I absolutely agree. I think something that maybe uh, many of the uh, listeners will not necessarily know is that really the majority of the air cargo is actually not carried by freighter aircraft, but really in the belly of the passenger aircraft. So uh, Hong Kong was the, and is again, the number one cargo airport in the world. Then, Cathay, then passenger demand dropped and uh, passenger aircraft also, there were very few aircraft. And then this also had a strong effect on the air cargo traffic at Hong Kong International Airport. Why? Because a large share of the air cargo is carried by passenger aircraft. And then, of course, some airlines, they use the passenger aircraft and they turn them into so-called freighter, not freighter, but freighter. Uh, but that was only doing part of the job. So overall, the air cargo demand, although Hong Kong is so strong, was still lower than uh, there was uh, pre-pandemic, although there was such a strong demand for air cargo. And that really had to do with the lack of passenger aircraft. So there is a strong relationship here. And now with the recovery of passenger demand, that's all. this definitely helps also air cargo business. Wow. Thanks for enlightening me and our audience, I, I suppose. Um, uh, Xiaowen, how do you expect the reopening of China to impact the world economy? Well, I think it, uh, there, the, the news about the world economy is really mixed. Uh, I think it, uh, for many, many reasons. The uh, oil price, economy, strong currency exchange. But this is a time, really, we need drivers. We, we need some boost. And I think that the opening up of the Chinese aviation market uh, really going to help uh, the global economy, especially sectors such as tourism, such as logistics, trade, and uh, definitely it's going to be a positive factor. 
But so far, um, there are fears about uh, the reopening of China and rising Chinese demand to push up commodity prices, to push up oil prices. What would be some of your concerns? Well, uh, I think the problem, as I mentioned, is this is a, a time we really need to work together to help the economy, to promote trade, to promote communications. Now, uh, I understand there, there may be some concern, but after so long, we should really learn from what we have seen and do in the last three years. So, so we need some transparent and clear decision rule, and people can discuss. We want to understand what the decision has been made, how they were made, and what are the facts and the information they are based on. And then I think make it clear and transparent, and then we can really help the economy, help the uh, people's communication together. Yeah, uh, Martin, you study the intersection of business and public policy. Uh, I guess uh, the reopening of China is a case in point where uh, a political decision, a policy decision can go a long way in uh, impacting uh, the business world, not just in China, the United States, but the rest of the world. Yeah, of course. Uh, you know, politicians make political decisions, and uh, we're hoping that the political decisions they make are going to be favorable for uh, promoting trade. Yeah, Xiaowen, talking about mainland and Hong Kong, the Greater Bay Area has been a much talked about concept. Uh, it's written in the Chinese constitution as well as, as key policy documents. It's made a priority uh, for China. And then with the Tongguan, the reopening of mainland borders to Hong Kong residents, uh, how do you expect the Greater Bay Area to gain momentum from here? Well, I think it's a, it's a good news and it's almost a must to make it very, very convenient for people to travel and meet each other and collaborate. Now, if you look at the Greater Bay Area, different regions, cities play different roles. Hong Kong has been very strong in finance, in basic fundamental research. We have, I think we are probably uh, one of the uh, cities that have five the top 100 universities. So, so we are very, very strong in fundamental research. On the other hand, if you look at Shenzhen, for example, they have a very vibrant high-tech R&D. Yeah. And, and then if you look at Guangzhou uh, and also that whole area, very good in manufacturing. And if you want to develop a new product, if you do the prototype in Hong Kong, it's going to be expensive. It's going to take much longer rather than get it done, for example, in Shenzhen and Dongguan. So really, the region have a lot of synergies and to cooperate. Now, how do you realize that synergy? You need people to freely travel, to meet each other, work seamlessly together. So I think the Tongguan or the, the liberalization of the travel is a must in the short term and also in the long term for the region to re really realize the synergy. And that will do it for this edition of The Hub on CGTN. I'm Wang Guan in Beijing. Our news coverage continues on CGTN. Bye and take care.